Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and we continue on with our player preview series, but this time, Alex, with a special guest. And a special player to preview. We're going to talk with Tom Piccolo of the Talking Knicks podcast about one R.J. Barrett, the star of the preseason so far for the Knicks. We talk about R.J.'s season last year, whether he was sort of disrespected by like media, his own team, by being uh, included in Donovan Mitchell talks, all kinds of stuff like that. So we'll talk about that, talk about what we expect from going forward, what he needs to improve on, what he's already good at, you know, all the good stuff that comes in a season preview next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up, up. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, including on YouTube, where you can find our most recent preseason game recaps. We'll have another one for you uh, at some point over the weekend. And of course, great interviews like the one we just did with SNY's Ian Begley. So if you missed that, certainly go and check it out. A lot of cool tidbits and news and rumors and, and, and just interesting, interesting stuff from Ian on uh, who will be winning the battle in certain spots in the next rotations, uh, which guys are going to start. And Tom Thibodeau's drop status, a whole lot more there. But who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the history of the world. Um, and we are joined by another fine man covering the New York Knicks, and that is Tom Piccolo, uh, the co-host of the fantastic Talking Knicks podcast, and additionally, a contributor at Knicks Film School, where we recently penned a great piece on R.J. Barrett. Um, so we talked to him about that. We talked to him about all the different ways R.J. can get better this season. And are the margins are uh, not too great for him to eventually become an all-star. It just has to improve a little bit in a lot of different areas. But we get into that right now with Tom Piccolo. All right, guys, as promised, we are joined by the co-host of the Talking Knicks podcast. It is the legendary Tom Piccolo, always one of our favorites. Uh, it's been a while, Tom, because as you were telling us before uh, we started recording, you you became a father recently. So congratulations again on that. Um, and you you came out of your hibernation as a father to, um, I, I believe, uh, get back on the Talking Knicks stuff, but also to pen a piece on our favorite son, R.J. Barrett, New York's favorite son, I should say as well, um, for the um, Knicks Film School newsletter. Uh, what what inspired uh, the R.J. piece? What's going on, guys? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, legend is a little strong, but I'll, I'll take it here. And uh, no, I, I just, I really spent this summer like not thinking a ton about the Knicks. Like I know there was a lot of Donovan Mitchell news swirling around, but I just, I had a lot on my plate and I couldn't just dive into all of that. And kind of the, when, when everything shook out, like as soon as summer kind of turned to fall, I was like, I'm, I'm sort of starting to feel 
like uh, the the itch again, right? Right? Like I think I wrote that in the last uh, column. Like I, I'm just excited to watch some basketball finally. And uh, you know, RJ, I think is probably the most interesting, most important player coming into this season. And I don't know, there was something about the the discourse around him, the fact that he was in the the Donovan Mitchell trades, the the fact that Woj Woj's tweet about Mitchell's about uh, Mitchell being traded included, uh, you know, kind of, or rather that RJ's extension and kind of the implications of the Donovan Mitchell trade there. Yeah. It was just like a, a disrespect that I didn't think was warranted. And so I kind of wanted to discuss a little further why RJ deserves to have a little bit more respect on his name. So that, that actually, so it, we were going to go both those directions. I'll start with the, the one thing first, which is just when you look back on last season, for RJ, I think it was very like when I look back on it, I think it was very experimental. You know, I, I think that he, he was clear, like there was a clear organizational uh, lean towards getting him the ball more and having him initiate more, having him be the, the core of the offense more down the stretch, probably to, to audition for that eventual extension and be like, all right, you know, this is a big decision. This is the number three overall pick from 2019. We need to see what we want to be able to pay this guy. Because, you know, having someone with that high of a pedigree that you've invested that much in as a franchise and a restricted free agency just honestly is not a good look. Like, if they would not have extended it before this season, it's not like Cam Reddish where things are, like, so up in the air and he's had such little playing time. Like, every opportunity has been there to evaluate R.J. Barrett. So, clearly, they they made that decision. The efficiency was hurt some, but the the hard numbers looked good scoring-wise. He got to the rim a lot more, was drawing a lot more fouls, even if he wasn't finishing fantastic at the rim. You know, I, th- I think that we saw sort of like them take – I don't even know if they were training wheels on to begin with, but sort of taking the training wheels off in a way and being like – or pushing them out of the nest maybe and being like, here you go, go fly. Like <laughs> figure this out as a top option, even with Julius Randle on the team. And I think he did pretty good. But it, when you were looking back at last season to try to sort of assess him to write this article and everything, what was your sort of takeaway from last season as far as RJ is concerned? Well, I think, I mean, just the fact that he was even included in some of these proposed Donovan Mitchell trades would lead you lead you to believe that the organization, you know, maybe they weren't wowed by what what they saw, right? Like if he had blown that audition out of the water, then we probably wouldn't have heard all these leaks about RJ's inclusion. And, you know, I think, I think that there were some, some issues that he had, but it it all depends on kind of, if you are high on RJ Barrett, what role do you see him in? Do you see him as this first option or do you see him more as like a secondary option? I think that's kind of more the camp I fall into. And, you know, he, he showed that he can, get the reps in like he he can he's got the shoulders for to, to kind of hold that burden of an offense but efficiency is always going to be the the kind of bugaboo for him I I think you know the there were some disappointments from last year right the, the shooting numbers went down the catch and shoot on threes the um the free throw percentage did tick up but it still isn't where we need it to be so I think there's pl- all I see there is just a lot of room for growth and and the biggest thing that I saw numbers aside was just this mentality that you really can't teach you know like we spent time with prospects like 
Frankie Lakina and Kevin Knox, who we just kept begging to just be more aggressive, be more assertive, take it in, like play with some force, take it to somebody. And that's, it's not something you can really teach. We, we tried, we saw that didn't work out. Like RJ Barrett has that mentality uh, and a great deal of it, right? Like he is absolutely, the word I use in the piece is just relentless. And I think that, you know, just from an eye test perspective, I know like I, I do go into a lot of the analytics um, in a lot of my writing, but just you watch this guy play and you're like, this guy's not afraid of anyone. He will attack anybody and get downhill. And there's, it's really hard to stop someone who is just that, you know, willing. He's always willing to get downhill and not settle. And I think that's a real unique skill is just having that relentless mindset. Coming up next, we are going to continue to dive into R.J. Barrett's season. That was, we're going to talk a little bit more about his finishing at the rim and also his playmaking, how he can continue to improve in that respect. But first, betonline.net, they are your number one source for football betting info. This season, you can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. But Alex, I know our audience. They want to make some money specifically betting on the New York Knicks and the success of the New York Knicks players. Uh, what do you have in mind in that respect? Well, let me tell you, I am an authority on most improved player futures bets because I hit on the Julius Randle one two years ago and made like, I think it was like 150 bucks on like a five or ten dollar bet. So pretty solid. Take my word for it. You'll get a, a huge return on investment if you do this. This disclaimer, not not gambling advice. Uh, but Jalen Brunson at plus fourteen hundred right now for most improved player seems like a pretty decent bet to make. Uh, Obi Toppin plus sixty six hundred right now. That is a nice little long shot. Let's say that something happens where Julius Randle does actually get traded or something this season. Hey, potential to make quite a bit of money right there. But considering the show that we're doing right now, I'll highlight RJ Barrett plus 2000. I don't know. There's something a little similar about the fact that RJ is averaging like a cool 20 points per game in like 25 minutes per game of preseason right now. I don't know. I, you know, I think maybe that's worth putting a few bucks on. If it were me and you're a low stakes gambler like I am, I would probably throw like 10 bucks on RJ and five each on Brunson and Toppin and hope one of those hits. And I think the odds would be better than you might think. And you got to remember, it's the fastest and easiest way to check in all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf, and of course, uh, the NBA. So head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. Yeah, I want to I want to read the exact quote from your article because I thought it was exceptionally well written. And like even even the first time I was reading it, it stood out. You wrote R.J. Barrett's greatest skill is that he is utterly relentless. That relentlessness reveals itself most when he attacks the basket, both in terms of his ferocity and frequency. His will to get to the rim is oh my god, I don't even know how to pronounce this word. In in, in, in def- I mean, I, you I, got I, it, you got I, it. <laughs> wow, that's the end of my really, podcasting career, and that's a skill just as much better as than, uh, than my speaking. So um, <laughs> and, no, yeah. Nice. Uh, and that's a skill just as quick, just as uncommon as a quick first step or passing off the dribble or fancy footwork is in the post. RJ's uncommon ability is that he decides he will get to the rim damn near every time down the court. It's not even a decision for him as much as it is a necessity. And to that point, he was one of the highest volume shooters at the basket in the entire NBA. I mean, you, you had the stat in there that 
post all-star break, he was fourth in the entire league, um, only behind Luka Doncic, Darius Garland, and Pascal Siakam in drives. He was fifth in transition points in the entire NBA, which, as you noted correctly, was stunning for a team that was the second slowest in the entire league. Um, and I, I think a lot of people, again, just looked at the numbers at the rim. And, and, we, and we should note, the numbers at the rim were objectively terrible. I mean, last year, according to NBA.com, he was the worst amongst forwards taking more than, um, I think it was five shots per game um, within five feet of the basket out of 24 players. He was at 52%. There were only three other guys, even under 60%. And yet, Tom, I'll, I'll let you break it down, but you give a lot of context on those numbers in both how they were shaped in terms of the Knicks far less than ideal personnel and how RJ's sheer volume kind of compensated for that inefficiency. You know, Gavin, real quick, if I may, yeah. your persistence getting through that quote was indefatigable. Wow. That was good. That was good. And the podcast and the podcast. Sorry, Tom. We got we to gotta, we gotta call it early. No, I mean, even in the piece, I wanted to make sure I wasn't making excuses for RJ Barrett. Like obviously he has to get better at the rim and I, I'm very confident that he will, but like, like I wrote that there were definitely some, some mitigating circumstances, the, the personnel, as you mentioned, I mean, there was just a supreme lack of spacing that RJ played with. Um, the, the stat I had in there was at 95% of RJ's minutes were with a non-shooting center. And then you look at his, his power forwards. It was Randall and Obi who both shot below 31% from three. So like that, that's part of the personnel issue, but also just the fact that he didn't have a, a true point guard, you know, so he was the one who had to create the majority of his own looks. We know that that's a more difficult shot than as we're even seeing in pregame or preseason, like these, these cuts that we're seeing, these cuts, to the basket that Isaiah Hardenstein is hitting people on, like that is an easier look than having to do everything yourself. Like that's just a, a huge burden. And then RJ was being defended by the opposing team's best wing defender. I don't know that that's going to change this year, but it's something to consider that like this was a, you know, 20, what is he? Was he 22 years old being defended by other teams, best defensive player. And he's having to create all the shots himself, you know, trying to get around these guys. And so I think that there's, there are these mitigating circumstances that you need to at least factor in to those just abhorrent statistics. Um, But then just the, even given all that, even the fact that he wasn't able to always score, like there's still a lot of value to, to that, that mindset, to that attacking, right? Like I know I, I really harped on just sort of the mental fatigue. I think people cite this a lot with Giannis is just like how, how much it sucks to guard that guy. Like you don't want to go up against him. Like that takes a real toll on you mentally, on you physically. You're tired. When you're tired, you make mental errors. You, you, you foul, right? Like RJ started getting to the line a great deal. I think a huge part of his, uh, you know, hopeful uptick in, in efficiency this year is going to have to go with through his true shooting percentage, which will factor in free throw shooting. Um, and I know we'll, we'll probably talk more about that later, but he's drawing fouls. He's getting a po- opponents in foul trouble. He's getting to the line that, you know, it, it leads to even ticky tack fouls getting to the bonus. Um, there's just a lot of, a lot of ancillary stuff that is very important. And then the one kind of fun assist I threw in was the, the uh, fun stat was the Kobe assists. Yeah. Which, um, That's what I was thinking of when I asked the question. Yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, I thought this was really interesting that the fact that we have an elite offensive rebounder in Mitchell Robinson playing so many of his minutes next to RJ, like all, all RJ has to do is get that ball up on the rim. And, and Mitchell Robinson has a decent chance of coming down with it. 
Um, we saw it a lot last year, and he and RJ finished second in uh, Kobe assists as far as like leading to, to made putbacks, so uh, second behind Jason Tatum. So, like, there's still value to this to this attacking to getting shots up. Look, I would I would still prefer to see RJ make those shots or do a better job of having you know smarter shot selection and finding guys on kickouts. I think that there's a lot of room for growth there. He has cited that himself. But I also don't want to detract from the actual value being added, tangible value being added from from the even from the misses. Yeah. And, you know, in addition to playing with a fantastic offensive rebounder, I think you mentioned right at the beginning of that answer, the context and how bad his context has been. We talk about that a lot here, too, about just like you got to consider his first year that team was no good, <laughs> you know, it was, and he still managed to scrape 15 points per game and not make an all rookie team. Um, still not, apparently that still comes up. I heard that on the MSG broadcast the other day. Uh, but then, you know, the second year he gets sort of forced into this role of being almost entirely off ball, really only had a couple pet plays that were drawn up for him. Uh, which ironically they never really went to last year, like the pistol set with Mitchell Robinson, which was so successful uh, his second year. They never really went to last year. And that sort of, I, I think, made that transition harder that he didn't really have those like pet plays like he used to uh, when he was you know, taking over last year. But then last year, obviously, the team not performing well. He just, again, kind of gets thrust out of the nest and told to go fly. This year, I feel like already in preseason – you know, he's shooting around 50% overall. He's shooting uh, the last game notwithstanding pretty freaking well from three. I mean, even after the last game where he shot like, what, one of five or whatever, he's probably still shooting around like 38 to 40% through preseason so far. Um, I, I'm kind of curious how much you think adding Brunson, having a Randall that's more willing to set screens and do things that are, as, as Randall himself put it, more Euro ball style. Uh, and also maybe even adding in plays for Mitch and him again, which we have already seen, I feel like, more of a connection between those two again in these preseason games where RJ's looking for Mitch on lobs a lot, um, you know, and they're, they're generally sort of working in tandem more than they were last year. How much do you think that could affect his ability to potentially take that next step this year. And, you know, obviously a lot of it comes back to that whole Mitchell thing and proving like I'm a little too good to have been dangled in a trade talk. I probably should have been off the table to start with. No, I, I think that the stars are really aligning here. I mean, Jalen Brunson has already shown that he's a very capable point guard. Like I think he struggled a little bit uh, in, in last night's game uh, against Indiana, but for the most part, he has shown that he can, you know, break down defenses and and find find guys, set guys up. RJ's jump shots looking really smooth. Um, I, I really like the way it's looked on catch and shoots. Um, he had one pull up three last game that that looked smooth as well. And then as far as the 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 Julius Randle component, that might be the most important thing because like Randall does attract. He still attracts a lot of attention, and so if he's making the smart play. Um, which he has been all preseason. They've, they've got a little kind of pet play between Randall and, and RJ these last couple of games where it's just a simple DHO and guys are going under because 
of RJ Barrett's kind of history. And they, they think that RJ is going to use this DHO to get downhill going left as he does so often, but RJ is just catching the, the dribble handoff and pulling up and it's uh, it's looked really good. And there's just more chemistry, more plays. It seems run between Randall and, uh, and RJ than, than I remember seeing. So I think that's going to be a, a huge part of this. Just Randall ex- really uh, accepting this um, and embracing this sort of team first role. Um, like to your point, setting screens um, in my kind of season preview column for Knicks film school, I, I harped on Mitchell Robinson's screen setting because he's very uh, want to slip them. He loves getting to the rim. He wants to get to the rim as fast as he can because he's really good at the rim. But um, I think between between Mitchell and uh, and Julius, that uh, we, we've got two guys who can set really solid screens and and make a difference for RJ. So I'm I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I think to your point, this is a, a stat I keep referencing, but to keep bringing it up is it's kind of amazing when when you look at two guys who were your nominally your two best players last year. Um, RJ and Randall were the Knicks' 18th most used pick and roll combination last year, so the chemistry between them was non-existent. And I think all, all three of us are probably on the same page that Tom Thibodeau didn't do a great job of of forcing structure onto Randall last year, and that was um, to the Knicks' detriment uh, for much of last season. And then. And then to your point this year, we're just seeing a lot more flow. And I think it's a combination of, of Tibbs maybe, or, or one of the assistant coaches. It's, it's hard to know that outside the building. We've all, we've all talked about the giant board um, at this point of, of offensive priorities that is clearly manifesting itself in a, in a positive way. Uh, I'll praise the board, but um, we're again, a combination of Randall being more unselfish and better coaching. We're seeing so much more flow offensively like on one of those DHOs it was the the first game against the Pacers I I think to Tom to your point the defense went under and um and uh, Randall's guy stuck with him and then Mitch just came up to set a screen and the defense was already scrambling to like recover into RJ all their momentum is going to that way and RJ just took one dribble lobbed it up to Mitch like just about the easiest junk you'll get And, and those are the kind of plays again when you can involve two guys with gravity you're going to get the best finisher in the history of the NBA in, in Mitchell Robinson, at least in terms of field goal percentage um, going to the rim with no one there. And I think this offense, it's success is going to be contingent on these guys abilities to make plays in tight spaces. And that means very quick decisions and, and smart decisions when they do make those quick decisions. And so far in the preseason, it's pretty, it, it really bought out a little bit last night, but we'll see how it continues to go. But I'm curious what you think of RJ's playmaking because obviously Brunson takes some of that burden off of him. But I think you nailed it earlier when you said a lot of his efficiency is simply knowing when to not force a shot up because time and time again last year you'd see him barrel into a double team and, and try and kind of make the hero play when, when Obi Toppin or, or some other Nick would just kind of be begging for it in the corner. And it wasn't as egregious as some of the ones that Randall would take, but it was certainly still there. Um, have you seen better passing from him early this preseason? And, and what do you think the next steps are for him there? Well, I think, you know, you see some fans say like, oh, RJ needs to like stop taking all these contested drives and, um, you know, look to pass or pull up. You hear a lot of talk of him pulling up. And it's like asking RJ not to drive is just you're asking him to be a different player. You're asking him not to be himself. So I think that the answer isn't drive less and you weren't not, you were insinuating that, but yeah. it, on those drives being smarter about when to go to finish and when to kick out, I think that's still 
a work in progress for him. I think that he still misses open guys. I think we, we see clips of it on Twitter and, and he acknowledges it himself. Um, I think he has gotten marginally better every year at it. Maybe not. Um, he probably hasn't gotten as good as quickly as, as a lot of fans would like, but that's not to say progress isn't happening. It's just a little slower than, than you'd hope. Um, there's, there's a lot of room for growth there. And I think as long as he continues making some, some baby steps in that direction, that, you know, that's something I think he's going to be working on kind of his whole career because he does tend to get a little bit of that tunnel vision. Um, but he's made some nice passes in preseason. And, you know, one thing I look for is I, I had that transition stat where I think he, he had like the fourth most transition points in the entire league. Um a big thing for him is he really – last year he did not pass in transition at all. And, and that hurts his efficiency too. If he's, if he's going against one-on-three in transition, it's, it's not going to typically end well for him. I think since he's pushing so much, like he can still look to find his teammates. The, the team is really looking to, to run this year. Um, we're seeing the bigs outlet faster. And I think that, that RJ is going to be a beneficiary of that, not just – scoring in transition, but also finding guys because those are easier reads. You know what I mean? The, the court's not as crowded. You're not coming off a of pick and roll. These are transition looks. And I think that he's going to, to make major strides there. And then, um, and hopefully we'll see that kind of leak into the half court as well. Yeah. It's amazing how it, it, things start to look better team wide when suddenly you, you stop, you know, making the offense like, okay, we gathered the rebound. Let's find where Julius is, give him the ball. Let's trot it up as slow as humanly possible and then set up a half-court set. As it turns out, if you start training guys to to keep their head up all the time, it's kind of beneficial to everybody. <laughs> like, all of a sudden we're seeing, like, I mean, Obi is more unstoppable than ever because now everybody is looking for the type of plays that Obi usually does. But then we're even seeing Randall starting to, you know, push and transition. Brunson, obviously, that's sort of like a staple for him. RJ now starting to do it. I think it could be nothing but beneficial for RJ. I think the other thing too, as it relates to like his finishing uh, around the hoop is I, I think, I don't know if it's overlooked necessarily, but it's easy to forget like just how, I mean, honestly elite he was at foul drawing towards the end of last year too. Like if he just figures out the, the finishing aspect of it, like the actual like finish through contact, whatever he's already proven. He's so good at drawing it. You know, I, I think that, he was again, I don't have the stat right in front of me either, but he was like, I know, like top five in the NBA post all star break last year and free throws drawn. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was the raw stat, not the per game, which probably mm. probably weighted him a little higher because he didn't really miss any time after the all star break. But you know, whatever, I'm gonna take the win where I can get it. Uh, yeah. but you know, he was so great at that last year that I think if he just adds a couple little things, it, we're looking at a really complete three level score. The other thing that I think uh, I think Benji Ritholtz pointed out on Twitter recently is his three-point shooting, I think, uh, based off Benji's video, has gotten more compact. He's getting it off in less space. And I think that's going to benefit his mid-range game too. Uh, where do you stand on that, Tom, as far as like adding the mid-range into that mix? And do you think that the – like? Why do you why do you think to this point in his career, mid range has not really been 
a thing for RJ? Do you think it's more just that it wasn't something he was comfortable doing or just something that was schemed against like by the team itself? Like to be like, no, nah, don't bother with those. Just take, take it all the way in or take the three. I, I think honestly, it was probably similar to like quickly where I have similar concerns or have had similar concerns, partly due to mechanics and how long it took him to load up his shot and stuff like that, where that makes it a little more difficult to get in and really pull off that mid ranger. I think if he's got a more compact shot this year and could pull that off, that could be another one of those things that just sort of, even if he doesn't hit it particularly at a particularly high rate, if he could just get like passable at mid range scoring, I think that would open up things a lot for him on the inside as well. Yeah. I think that mechanics definitely played a part in it. I think there's also a mindset thing where, you know, he grew up and went to college and was just always the strongest player on the floor, you know? So anytime he pulled up, for mid-range, it was him settling. It wasn't because he couldn't get to the rim, right? So I think that he probably had a tough adjustment to the league where there were a lot stronger players who could uh, who could actually deter him. And it, it has taken him some time to adjust. As far as the mid-range goes, I, I think that like floater range, like the short mid-range is really where he can excel. And I know he took, I think, a quarter of his shots roughly from, from floater range last year and, and was – was really bad on him, like yeah. really struggled. Um, I think that that's just – that's kind of more of an ideal area for him just because instead of getting all the way to the rim, like that's kind of the, the area where he can pull up. He, he'll keep defenders guessing, keep defenders from like sagging off of him and like force them to defend the whole floor, you know, like if he, he becomes closer to that, that three-level score. But pulling up from like 16, 17, 18 feet in kind of that like – you know, Kobe or Carmelo range. I don't know if that's ever really going to be RJ's game. Um, having it as a, as a weapon for him to, to be able to pull out like once or twice a game might be useful. But for me, it, it really is that, that floater for him. That's going to make him more dangerous as a scorer. Yeah. I think we've already seen flashes of that. I, I know in each of the last two preseason games, he's hit one runner that sort of made my jaw drop just because of how smooth it looked. And, and with RJ, a lot of times when those shots would go in, it would be either like a bank or it would hit the rim twice and just barely roll in. And now it, it, it looks like something honestly that he worked on is his touch looks like closer to quickly. So last year it looked like whatever it would have, whatever would have been if Mitchell Robinson was taking those shots. It was ugly at times last year. And it, it's one of those things where I, my big question with RJ has always kind of been, can you, teach touch. And I, I wasn't really sure. And and maybe it was always there for him. And it, it, it simply was just mechanical issues, but very, very small sample size. But to me, at least it's looking better. Um, The, the other big factor is obviously his three point shot dropping last year from 40% to 34%. Obviously we've touched on it a little bit. Um, The biggest thing there, I, I think for most people is just how he does on catch and shoots. And I know there was excitement at times during his second season where like maybe once a game, he would pull one off off the dribble and even just watching him this preseason when he is hitting them off the dribble, it's it's never going to be what quickly does where it's like rapid fire move rise into a shot. But he seems a little bit better at like like he had a play in the second game where he just spun off a screen and then got some separation, took one dribble, took his time, gathered, set his feet and nailed it. I, I was wondering, Tom, not not even necessarily from a percentage perspective, but where do you think he has to get on that shot to achieve the heights that we all want from him, which is an, an arbitrary metric, but I mean, I don't know, let's just say making a couple of all-star teams, where does he eventually have to get to as a three-point shooter? 
I think, I mean, it's all about the way defenses react to you, right? And so even when he was a 40% three-point shooter, I don't know that defenses really respected him as one. Um, I think that, you know, so much of it is, like, to Alex's point earlier, the fact that he's able to get them off in, in tighter spaces and just, like, more quickly, I think we've seen some of that. He, he caught one – or even just, like, more, more ver- in a more versatile way. Like, Randall – threw one pass to him in the corner that was like really way to his left down by his feet. And he was able to, to catch it, corral it. And still not everything's perfect when he takes the three, right? It's not a perfect catch and shoot, not a perfect spot up. Um, but he's able to, to still knock it down, just be a shot maker and make defenses feel him that way. Um, I, I would say kind of that when I say versatility, I'm not thinking off the dribble. and I'm not even really thinking – you know, on the run coming off of screens. It's just like being able to catch defenders kind of tied up on you, catching it from different angles and and still being able to knock down the shot in tight spaces. So moving to the other side of the ball, Tom. uh, So Gavin pulled a a stat here, or perhaps this is from your article. Gavin, did you pull this one or is this from? I I, I found this one all on my own. All right. (laughs) I want to, I just want to make sure I credit it properly. Uh, So B-ball index is D-LeBron. Uh, metric had him as one of the worst high minute wing defenders in basketball last year. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much the eye test supports that. I mean, I think that he made a, a very vocal point of saying that he was going to be guarding some of the best players on the other teams. And I do think that that was the case. I do think his defense suffered some down the stretch as he sort of balanced the, the tightrope walk of, you know, being an offensive engine and also trying to stop the other team's best player. That's a, that's rarefied air. There's very few guys, not even just in the league today, but like an NBA history that can really do that. Um, you know, it's like, I mean, they're very, a varying talent levels, obviously, but like Jimmy Butler can do that. Like Kawhi Leonard can do that. Um, you know, if you want to talk like the greatest type players, like, LeBron, Jordan, you know, they could do that, whatever. That's a very elite skill to be able to guard the other team's best player and still, you know, be a a good offensive engine on the other end. That's why three and D players exist. that can just do one thing on offense and then play elite D on the other end. Uh, So I'm kind of curious what your take on that is. Do you think that perhaps having Brunson and Randall, which I feel like Randall playing at the, the level that we know he's capable of, you know, which I think is a very consistent theme in this. Like a lot of what's going to happen with RJ this year, I think, is kind of dependent on how his teammates fare in many ways. Um, but do you think that that could lessen the load on him on offense in such a way that then his defense recovers to more the level that we saw, like the beginning of last year and even like during the 2021 season when I think he was quite good on defense? Or I don't know. I guess just in general, what's your read on his defense, having just written about him and everything? No, I mean, that, that stat is surprising to hear that he was towards the bottom of, of wing defenders. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know that it always jumps off the screen that he's struggling on defense. I think, you know, from, a, from like a team defense standpoint, I think that the Knicks in general struggled um, for parts of last season. And it was, it was often an effort thing, maybe led by like the – the leaders like Julius Randle's effort definitely waxed and waned throughout the season. And I think that that kind of, you know, carried over to, to some of the other players. I don't want to blame Julius Randle for, for RJ's struggles, but there were, I, I would say just as a team, there was some lethargy 
on the defensive end. Uh, I think, you know, on the season, I think they finished with like the 12th best defense. So it wasn't terrible, but the season before, I know they were top five. So there was definitely a letdown. And I think a lot of that had to do with defensive execution. Um, You know, I think that RJ Barrett has really strong defensive potential. He's got some tools. Um, He's really smart. You can't like post him up. You know, I'm not worried about bigs like backing him down or anything. So I, I just, he can switch. I think he should be perennially a, an above average defender. Does, does he have like all defense uh, ceiling? I wouldn't necessarily say so, but I don't think he needs to be or needs to have that individual um, ceiling in order for this team defense to be great. And we saw it two years ago as a top five defense, he can be a very, I mean, he played the second most minutes on the team on a top five defense. I think that's, you know, he can certainly do that again. And, uh, and he won't be a, uh, you know, a weak link in any way. It's just, I, I also just don't see him being a, you know, top wing defender in the league. And I think part of that maybe has to do with, with some offensive burden and, and part of it just has to do with, uh, tools, instincts, things like that. I think he's just going to grade out to be an above average defender. And that is perfectly fine considering what he's going to bring on the offensive. Yeah, I think certainly part of that for him is that he doesn't really get a lot of steals and blocks and those percentages are are very low among swings. His his awareness could still serve to get quite a bit better. I mean, even last night, like he, he gave up a layup just because he fell asleep, but he, he had, he had an excuse last season. I, I don't think his expectation going into the year was that he was going to carry the load he ultimately did on offense. This year, he, he should be a little bit more ready for it. And to Alex's point, he shouldn't have to carry quite the load he did offensively. I, I, I guess that being said, to to sum this all up, Tom, what do you what are reasonable expectations for him this season? What do you like on a personal level, like want slash need, like whatever, whatever the line between those two things is, need to see from him to feel good about RJ Barrett as the face of the franchise. And and maybe that's an unfair expectation. Like to, to be clear, the, the contract he got doesn't scream face of the franchise. It screams like one of our key pieces. It doesn't scream the piece. And I don't think anyone who's reasonable looks at RJ Barrett and says, yeah, the, the hope for him is still that he's going to be the number one guy in on the championship team someday. That being said, I, I think you want to see him in the conversation for an all-star spot this year. And, and some of the, the general disrespect from around the league. And honestly, even within the Knicks own front office who uh, uh, Mark Berman, uh, I hate to say this formerly of the New York post uh, reported that there, there were some people in the front office confused when RJ got the extension. They were like, Oh, I, we, I thought we wanted to trade this guy. I thought we were on the same page. So uh, long winded way of saying, what does he have to do to remedy all of that and, and, and kind of solidify himself? Yeah. So you know, whether he's going to be in contention for an all-star game in his age 22 season, I, I don't sit here and like expect that if he gets to that point, I wouldn't be shocked, but like, I don't think that that's going to be the measure of like success this season. If he's even, you know, kind of mentioned in that, in that tier of on the bubble to, to make the all-star game. I, I just think you kind of throw points per game away. He scored 20 a game last season. And I think he was still thought of as, as a guy who had a lot to work on. So, so much of it is going to come down to efficiency with him. Um, I think if he can get that free throw percentage up to 78, 79, close to 80%, then he's going to be a, you know, that's going to go a long way. Right. Um, if he can get his three point percentage back up 
doesn't even have to be 40, but upwards of that 37, 38%. Like, then we're going to start to have a real player who's going to just, he's going to contribute to winning basketball for a long time. And that's kind of what I'm most excited about for him. It's not so much the, the all-star games or, or anything like that. Um, I know there's, a, there's some like kickers in his contract that'll, that'll um, be triggered if he, if he does make some of those teams. But, you know, that's not going to be my measure for him. I think as long as we see some strides in the, the finishing and the playmaking and the effort on defense, then that's really all I need to see for him to know. Like, I mean, I'm not even slightly worried about his contract coming back to, to look bad. Um, I think he's going to be worth every penny. So I'd like to see some, some better playmaking out of those drives. I want him to continue attacking like he has been. Um, it's just hit those free throws, pass, you know, hit guys on the, on the corner threes every once in a while, a little bit more shoot a little bit better from three and then I'm good. Like it doesn't take a lot for him, right? It's just like a little better in a bunch of different areas. There's not like one glaring, I mean, maybe you say finishing, but even that I'm like, just, just get a little bit better. And that's, that's all it's going to take. And if he does all those things and gets just a little better in all those areas, he's, he evolves from a 20 point per game score to probably a 25 point per game score. In which case, maybe the all-star game stuff will just figure itself out at that point. Even if he just shows, Minimal improvement. Yeah. Alex, I'll throw this out there real quick. He was at 24 points per game over the final 41 games last year. We know um, he was dealing with that stomach issue the first 20 to 25. So he's he's already really close to even just being that already. Damn that yeah. stomach bug, as always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tom, I think this is a good point to, to probably wrap up uh, today's episode. It's been a really good discussion on RJ Barrett, what he could do to get better and how good he already is and everything else that there is that comes with talking about RJ. Thanks so much for coming on with us. Uh, we've, we've missed having you on, so we're always happy to have you back and uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Do you want to uh, let everybody know where to find you online and everything uh, before we let you go? And, and of course, promote anything you might have coming out soon. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. You can listen to me over at Talking Knicks. It's a part of John Boy Media. And uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely, I hope to be back on again soon, guys. I'm back. I'm back in the Knicks content world. So uh, I'm, I'm available. <laughs> All right. Can't, can't wait to do it, Tom. Uh, we will be back um, with, with one more podcast this week, or a recap of the Knicks fourth and final preseason game. Um, but until then, for Alex and Tom, I'm Gavin Scholl. We'll talk to you soon on Locked on Knicks. Peace out. <laughs>